Thank you, Jesse. Good morning, Encounter. Go ahead and make your way to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 is where we will be uh, spending our time here this morning. Uh, we've been uh, going through the book of Jonah over the last uh, five or six weeks now, and we finally make our way to Jonah chapter 3. If you're not exactly sure where the book of Jonah is, uh, you'll find it near the end of the Old Testament. So an easy way to find it is just start in the book of Matthew. Many of you might be familiar with Matthew is, where Matthew is, and just turn to the left, and uh, you'll happen upon Jonah. You might find Micah and then Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, and I'll be reading uh, the entire chapter, all of chapter 3, here this morning. Starting in verse 1, Jonah records for us, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles... Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Well, fall is uh, probably my favorite season of the year. I like spring and I like fall and I, we, and I endure summer and winter, but fall is certainly a favorite time of the year. There's so much going on, isn't there, right? The, the nights are nice and cool and crisp. You can leave your windows open as you fall asleep and enjoy the cool air. You can wake up in the morning and all the dew is there on the ground. Uh, it's the season in which we as a church go camping, don't we, right? Here in just a couple of weeks, I looked this morning on our sign-up roster, we've got 77 people who are going to be braving the outdoors with us together as a church, and we will be camping. And so that is going to be a wonderful weekend uh, for us. There's, of course, this, this past week, we, uh, on Thursday night, we did the hot dog giveaway. I just want to tell you, that was a wonderful evening. I would say, again, this is probably why I like fall so much. I would say the hot dog giveaway is probably one of my favorite outreaches that we do as a church. It's just an, a great opportunity for us to connect with the city of J-Town. If you're not exactly familiar with our hot dog giveaway, uh, this weekend is the Gaslight Festival here in the city of J-Town, and on Thursday night they have a parade where everyone marches, or it seems like everyone marches down Taylorsville Road, and, and we line the streets, and then uh, we as a church, we set up canopy tents uh, at a certain location, and we grill hot dogs, and, and we give out hot dogs, bag of chips, and a can of soda, and we gave 432 hot dogs away. Uh, that's all, yeah, praise the Lord to that. That's all we bought. We ran out of hot dogs. We should have bought more hot dogs because we ran out about halfway through the parade. We have never run out of hot dogs that early in the parade. And so it was really neat. But even more important than hot dogs, right? And they were all beef hot dogs, just so you know. Like none of those cheap hot dogs. I actually had some people ask, what's in these hot dogs? I said, well, they are all beef hot dogs, right? Beef, it's what's for dinner. So we, we gave away those hot dogs. But more importantly, we had a table set up with, um, yeah, the friendness cards, right? We had with, with church information. But even more important than that, uh, uh, Dr. Dill and Linda uh, were giving away Bibles 
And we handed out 118 New Testament Bibles and uh, a number of Spanish versions, translations as well. But it gets even better. Don't clap yet, Dave. Stop that, all right? It gets even better. Because not only did we give those Bibles out, but what was neat is prior to the parade, we saw people reading those Bibles. And there was this one lady in particular who had gotten a copy of God's Word and was sitting there. The parade had yet to pass by, and she was just reading it. Uh, Chip Swetnam, who was back, he was the grill master, and he shared with me how there were a group of teenagers that were congregating close to him with an earshot, and he was listening to their conversation, uh, and he, he, you know, Chip said, man, he said, you just wouldn't believe what these students were talking about. Well, after, right, those students were having those conversations, they went through the line, several of them picked up a Bible, and then got the hot dog, right, the all-beef hot dog and the chips and soda. But then they went back there, and several of those students then opened up God's Word and were reading it too. Now, that's where it gets exciting, right? Because we can feed bellies, but we have something so much more to offer them. We have God's Word that ultimately changes hearts, Right? I can, we can be nice to people, we can, we can give them food, we can do all these wonderful things, but ultimately, the one who is going to change their hearts is God himself. And that should be encouraging to you and me, because the pressure for you to try to save a person is completely off your shoulders. Right? I, I mean, some people might say, come on, Michael, really just a hot dog, right? Is that really sharing God's love? You know, giving a Bible out, are, you know, are, the, are people actually going to read those? And my response is, but that's our job, is to just tell people about Jesus, to find different ways, creative ways in which we can share the love of Christ with them and point them to God's word, ultimately point them to Jesus. This morning, as we look here, at Jonah chapter 3, uh, what we see is Jonah is now responding in obedience. Remember, as we've been looking through uh, this book, we've learned that Jonah, it's four chapters, and it's really divided almost into two different sections. If it were a, a movie scene or, or a play, it would be two different acts, right? You would have act one, Jonah chapter one and two, then you would have act two, Jonah chapter three, and four. And so what we see, and again, through this, right, we see kind of the ebb and flow of, of following Jesus, that sometimes we can be on fire for the Lord, and other times we can be in the depths of despair. And you see that throughout Jonah's book. Sometimes you want to obey God, and other times you, you want to head to Tarshish. And so what we see here is Jonah now there in verse 1, God again comes, returns to Jonah and, and gives Jonah the instruction, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh, right? The, the, the call has not changed. The call that I placed on your life as a, as a spokesman of mine, as an ambassador of mine, uh, the call remains the same. Jonah, I want you to, to go to Nineveh. I want you, that you to warn them. I want you to tell them about my mercy and so Jonah, as we're going to discover here, he responds in obedience. Praise the Lord, right? He responds in obedience. And we're going to see how God then uses Jonah's efforts to save the city of Nineveh, to, to bring them to that point of repentance. There is repentance that takes place. We see uh, there that, that Jonah, as he declares, as he warns them of God's judgment, uh, and as he reveals to them God's mercy, we see that the people of Nineveh believed, is what we're told, is that they believed. And so the big idea for this morning's uh, sermon is this, is that evangelism is our job, salvation is God's job. Evangelism is our job because God had called Jonah into a missionary effort to, to arise and to go to Nineveh that God had called Jonah into this missionary effort to, 
to take his words, his truth, into this, this wicked city of Nineveh and to call them to repentance. And the, and the call is the same to you and me. Right? And the call is the same. It, it's what many of us did on Thursday night in various ways, in a creative way. Right? We're, we're declaring the truth of God and his word and the love of Jesus Christ there. And that's our job. And now what we can do is we sit and we trust the Lord. We trust that God will do his part and that God will use the power of his word to change hearts, to change that young lady's heart there, to change the hearts of those young men and, and young women who open God's word uh, there near Chip, where, where Chip was grilling. And so evangelism is our job. That's the main idea that as we leave this morning from these first five verses here of Jonah chapter three, that we will leave uh, with that thought in mind. And so what we find here uh, this morning, I've got three points for you. And the first one is this, is that we see in these first couple of verses, this first verse in particular, that we should remind ourselves of God's persistent grace. That we should remind ourselves of God's persistent grace. And we see here that the way chapter 3 begins almost mirrors the way in which chapter 1 began, only, only with one significant difference. We see, look, go ahead, look there in your copy of God's Word with me, right? In verse 1 it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, okay? Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. If you, if you flip back to chapter 1, you see the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The difference here in chapter 3 is, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, what? A second time. God's word came to Jonah a second time. Jonah's account opens there in chapter 1 with God's call to Jonah to go to Nineveh. But as we've learned over recent weeks, that's not what Jonah wanted to do. Jonah ran in disobedience, right? God in his mercy, though, saved Jonah through a storm. He saved Jonah through a great fish. God, in his severe mercy, returned Jonah back to dry land, right? The story of Jonah certainly could have ended with the conclusion of chapter 2. And God certainly would have been glorified through that, right? God would have been glorified through that in showing his mercy to this man, Jonah, who who ran in rebellion away from God's call. God would have been glorified with that. But that's not the end of the story, That's not the end of the story, because God and his persistent grace, what does he do? He gives Jonah another chance. Though Jonah did everything he could to resist that first call of God, God who who was under no obligation to do so, right? God was not obligated to allow Jonah this opportunity to, to do it again. But God in his persistent grace offers Jonah a new beginning. So church, I wonder, aren't you thankful for God's persistent grace in your life? Aren't you thankful that God gives you new beginnings? And I wonder this morning, are you willing to receive God's persistent grace? Maybe you are here today. Maybe this week you've blown it again. Maybe the beat of your week has just been one mistake after another. And you look at yourself, you look yourself in the mirror, and you realize that you are far from holy. That you're far from living a life that God desires and tends for you to live. It's amazing though, isn't it, that God takes our sins, our failures, our mistakes, our shame... And in exchange for them, he gives us his lavish favor. On this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, we understand that 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 new beginning is through Jesus Christ. And this new beginning is not simply just another attempt for us to try to do it again. Right? It's not just another attempt for us to try to try in our own strength to get it right this time. I mean, think about it this way, right? Think if, if all God did was say, oh, man, you really blew it this week, but hey, guess what? Because, because I'm a nice guy, I'll give you another chance. Go ahead and try again. But that's not how God works. That would be like me offering one of my, my twin boys a, 
a college-level calculus test. And the first time they take it, they fail miserably. And I look at them and I say, well, what's, what's your problem, kid? You know, but since I'm a nice guy, I'll give it to you again and I'll see how you do a second time. Right? And what's going to happen? They're going to fail miserably a second time. See, what God does is God doesn't just, he doesn't just give us another try, he gives us himself. Right? What would I need to do in order to truly help my child out, help my eight-year-old boys out? I would need to provide them Einstein or someone who actually knows what they're doing. Believe me, I am not the one to take that calculus or that physics exam for them because I'll probably fail as miserably as they do. But instead, I need someone else to, who, to step into my life who's able to do that. And that's what God does. And this is the good news of God's persistent grace for you and for me. That Jesus has taken the test. And he has passed it. That Jesus offers to us not just a second chance for you to try again on your own. But Jesus offers to us himself. And his righteousness. Jesus offers to us his Holy Spirit to help guide and direct us. Jesus offers to us his word to help us. Jesus offers to us through his persistent grace. He offers the community of believers. Church, that's why we need to gather every Sunday morning. That's why we gather through the course of the week. That's why we go on things like fall campouts and, and do other activities because we need one another. And it's God's persistent grace is seen and shown to each of us. Through that. And so we see here this persistent grace that God is as, he is, as He is running after, again, that mercy, as we've talked about, that mercy being that hound dog of heaven, Charles Spurgeon calls it. That, that while there was still great mystery about it in Jonah's day, we understand that this persistent grace was extended not only to Jonah, but also to the people of Nineveh. Go ahead, look there at verse 5, okay? Jump down, Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. Jonah, who, who experiences God's severe mercy, God's persistent grace, we see Jonah then in obedience goes to Nineveh, and he tells the Ninevites about it. And how did the people of Nineveh respond? It says the Ninevites believed God. Even the people of Nineveh received God's persistent grace. It says, through faith, by believing the message of, that Jonah brought to them. We understand that the Old Testament saints experienced salvation in the same way we do. They believed God. We're told there in Galatians chapter 3 that, that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so as these people of Nineveh are given these promises of God, are given the warning of God's judgment, they're given those promises, the people of Nineveh, they believed it. And the same is true for us, is that salvation is through faith. That when we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive that persistent grace. And church, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's helpful and it's important for you to remind yourself of how persistent God's grace has been in your life. Don't forget that. Don't take it for granted. I think we also see how God's character is here on display in these verses, right? We understand that God is patient toward Jonah. Oh, God, th think about how, how, how God uh, was, was patient with Jonah running away from him. God is patient with the people of Nineveh. We also see God's compassion being displayed in these verses. God's compassion toward Jonah, God's compassion toward the people of Nineveh. God's patience and his compassion, they go so far to not only right, right, save Jonah from himself, save Jonah from drowning, but God's patience and compassion go so far as to even restore Jonah to, to a position of service. Isn't that incredible to think about? That in your rebellion, 
God, the heavenly father, is like the father of Jesus' parable of the prodigal son who is waiting for us. And not only does he just receive us back, but he, he restores us to a position of honor where God gives Jonah this opportunity to go again. This rebel who is turned and given, who is turned, God has drawn him back, and now he's going to Jonah. I'm reminded, or to, to Nineveh rather, I'm reminded of Jesus restoring the disciple Peter in the New Testament. Do you remember that account, right? It was Peter who denied Jesus how many times? Not just once, not just twice, but three, three times. In the hours immediately before Christ's crucifixion. But then, Jesus, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus comes and what does he do? He meets with Peter and he restores him. Jesus didn't have to restore Peter to a position of service, did he? Jesus certainly would have forgiven Peter, but he didn't have to give him this charge to go and feed my sheep, Jesus says, not once, not twice, but three times, Jesus restores Peter to that place of service. And so we should be encouraged, church. Maybe you, maybe you are a returning rebel. Maybe you're a returning rebel. I want you to know that God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. And God wants to use you in his servants, his service, and the persistent grace of God is displayed here through Jonah. And the fact of the matter is, is that if God chases you and me with persistent grace, if God's grace toward us is filled with his patience and with his, his compassion, then it's only fitting that these characteristics should describe our lives as his followers. And so I wonder, you being a recipient of God's persistent grace, are you then in turn offering that same grace to other people? Does your patience toward other people ever run thin? Do you ever find yourself seeking revenge rather than demonstrating compassion? Are you ever tempted to get even or hold a grudge? Remind yourself of God's persistent grace toward you and ask the Lord to help you in your and how you treat other people. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, he says to put on then as God's chosen, and, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience. So we see, right, as we understand that evangelism is our task, salvation is God's responsibility, that the motive of it, right, what fuels our evangelism is the fact that you and I have received his grace. And as recipients of his grace, we should be declaring it to other people. This then takes us to the second point, where we should obey God's command to proclaim. We should obey God's command. You might even say obey God's command to evangelize. Right? God's instructions to Jonah... They do, again, these early verses of chapter 3 have a very familiar ring sound to the early verses of chapter 1, where God's instructions to Jonah are this, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, various translations, and maybe the translation you have sitting there on your lap, uh, that verse 2 might begin in this way, arise and go to Nineveh. Right? How many of you, maybe you have a New American Standard or a, another standard, maybe, maybe it says, arise and go to Nineveh. Right? That word arise emphasizes our need to change our position or our posture. It emphasizes the need to break away from a more, uh, uh, from a more sleepy state of being. In fact, that word arise is the same word that the captain of the ship used when he's waking up Jonah as Jonah is down in, 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 in the belly of the ship. 
and the ship is being uh, tossed around by the waves, the captain, I can only hear him clunking down those steps, and arise, he, he tells Jonah to get up to change his position from a sleepy slumber to get up and actually to pray to his God. Well, here we have God using this same language that, that basically means it's time to get up and it's time to do something. It's like a mother or a father waking their young children up in the morning. How many of you parents struggle with waking your children up? What You don't struggle with your waking them up. How many of you children struggle with obeying your parents? Maybe that's a better question. Addie Wright, do you ever struggle waking up? Yeah, there you go. I've had conversations with Carrie and Krista. Arise and go to, it's time to get up. That's the instruction that is being given. It's time for you to leave behind a former state of being and to actually do something. I think most of us need to hear this this morning, that we need to hear this abrupt instruction get up, arise. We need to be leaving behind our complacency. When it comes to evangelism, our tendency is just to stay where we are. When it comes to telling other people about Jesus, our tendency is to keep the message of the good news of Jesus to ourselves. We kind of, we've believed the lie that it's just a lot easier, it's a lot more comfortable just to share that message within our little holy huddles. I think a lot of us probably have different excuses. Have any of you ever used excuses when it comes to evangelism? Right? Maybe some of these excuses sound a bit familiar. Maybe the excuse that you've used is that someone else will do a better job of sharing the good news. How about this excuse? But what if the person gets upset or doesn't like what I have to say? Here's another one. What if the person doesn't agree with the message that I share with them? Or how about this excuse? But I don't have all the answers. Have you ever, have you ever used that as an excuse? What if they ask me a question? that I just don't know the answer to. Like, I'm not Steve Dill, right? He's not here in my pocket. I wish he was, but what do, I, what do I do? And so instead of sharing the gospel, we just kind of sink back in and we don't say anything because we fear they might trip us up. Maybe you've used, you've used this excuse. Who am I to tell others since my own life is a mess? There's a lot of other excuses. Here's just a, a final one I'll offer to you. Uh, sharing the gospel makes me uncomfortable. Understand, I struggle with it too. I, I know Michael Fay struggles with it. And I'm just calling people out right and left, right? And it's just that third row, all right? You, you, Laura and is Abby, right? Y'all should be thankful you're sitting in the second row or else you'd be on the front. Well, I just called you out too. <laughs> Sorry, Bill and Sharon, you're next. But so I like, I know Michael Faye struggles with this too because a few weeks ago as pastors, we uh, and staff, we got together for a fun evening at the Horton's house. Christy made these incredible pecan bars that Pastor Dan told you about last Sunday. And... And uh, near the end of the evening, we, we just shared some prayer requests. Like, what are some ways that we can pray for you? And we wrote them on note cards, and we handled them to the person across the table from us. And, and so I got Michael Faze, and on his, he said, pray that I would invite my coworkers to church. Right? We need that prayer. All of us need that prayer for that courage to evangelize. We all can find up. Find, there's always an excuse ready, isn't there? for why this just isn't the right time for me to do it. I think that word arise, wake up, get up, leave your previous disposition and tell someone. We need to break free from that which keeps us from going and proclaiming. We need to tear ourselves away from the bindings of comfort and that ease of excuses. J.I. Packer has some helpful, some heart-probing words for us. Let me just read them to you. J.I. Packer wrote, he said, If we find ourselves shrinking from the responsibility and trying to evade it, 
We need, our, we need to face ourselves with the fact that in this, we are yielding to sin and Satan. We need to press our conscience, uh, our, on our conscience this question. Which matters more? My reputation or their salvation? We cannot be complacent about this this gangrene of conceit and cowardice when we weigh, upon, weigh up our lives in the presence of God. Instead, what we need to do is ask for grace to be truly ashamed of ourselves and to pray that we may so overflow in love for God that we will overflow in love for our fellow men. And so find it an easy and natural and joyful thing to share with them the good news of Christ. So I wonder what attitude or excuse do you have toward evangelism? What is it, right? What is that attitude or that excuse that that you need to turn from, that you need to arise above, that you need to get up, and that you need to leave behind? And so then once leaving that posture, what happens, right? Okay, arise, and what, what, once leaving that prior posture, Jonah is then instructed to do what? To go and proclaim, to go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. We see that there in verse 2. The message that we proclaim, notice this, the message we proclaim is not our decision. Right? God tells Jonah that he is going to give him the message. We're not going to, it's not our job to try to alter or to change the message. It's not our job to tweak the message just a little bit based upon our opinion or based upon maybe a shifting public sentiment, we're not to serve as God's public relations committee. Instead, what are we called to do? We're called to be faithful to that task, to the task of telling what is true. And that's what Jonah was called to do. God told Jonah, he said, declare, proclaim the message that I am going to give you. Now, understand, it is important, right? We don't change the message, but I think we should be careful in, in how, we, how we communicate the message. It's important that we consider how we proclaim the gospel. We shouldn't be jerks about it. Instead, we should allow God to use our personalities, our, our, our interests, our past experiences. We should allow God to use relationships that we're already in to allow us to to declare the gospel. Each of us has been entrusted with a unique situation wherein we are able to tell others about Jesus. Did you know that you have a unique situation to tell your neighbors about Jesus? You're in a position to tell your neighbors about Jesus that I'm not in. With family members, with coworkers, with college professors, with classmates or teammates, God has given you unique opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And believe it or not, all of our lives should be centered on evangelism. All of our lives should be focused on telling people about Jesus. Many of us have forgotten that the call of evangelism should be a daily practice. In our daily routines, we should have evangelism in mind with our coworkers. We should have evangelism in mind. Our minds should always be thinking about how we can effectively use our homes to tell our neighbors about Jesus. We should be intentional in our friendships with those classmates, with our teammates at school. We've forgotten that it truly is a wonderful thing to be able to tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. We've forgotten that, that, there, that what does our neighbor need the most? They need to see the love of Jesus and they need to hear us share the love of Jesus with them. And so this is the 
The second point here is that we should be obedient to God's command to proclaim. That's what God is calling Jonah. Arise, leave that prior disposition. Arise and do what? And actually go to Nineveh. You know, here at a church, we we have a number of resources available to help you in your evangelism. All right? Now, we've already heard of the business card slash friendness card, right, that, that Dave has put out, and those are available at the information table. And again, these are just tools that we are giving to you to help you in sharing the gospel with other people. Here's a, we have some gospel pamphlets that are available, one that steps to peace with God. These are easy pamphlets that you can give out to your neighbors, that you can give out to your family members, to complete strangers. You have time at the gas station, right? You're sitting there, you're pumping your gas, right? Instead of watching those cheap videos that they show now on the gas pumps, right? Actually engage the person. I mean, freak the person out a little bit, engage them in conversation, say hello to them, and, and then just hand them a pamphlet. And then guess what? You can, you can like hand it to them and run out of there, okay? If you're truly embarrassed of that, just give it to them. But you have no idea how God might use this in a person's life, right? We have these pamphlets, that are uh, for tipping, right? For those of us who are generous in our tips, if you're a cheapskate, don't leave this, but if you're generous in your tips, uh, use this as a way of tipping the server. We have some for children out there. We have some, again, I already mentioned Dr. Dill, Steve Dill, who we all wish we could carry around in our pocket, but it even gets better than that. Dr. Dill has put together pamphlets to help you in answering some of those difficult questions that people have. Right? And he's got a ton of these. They're available on the information table. And the overflow area is in our prayer room and in our library. We have a wall with lots of these available too. For example, here's one that's titled, Historical Evidence for Christianity and the Bible. Here's another one that's titled, Evolutionalist's Little Secret. Here's another one that's titled, Is Jesus the Only Way to Salvation? These are pamphlets, information, these are tools that Dr. Dill has put together to help us in our effort to do what? To obey God's command to proclaim. To obey God's command to tell our neighbors about Jesus. Now you might say, but Michael, this is all, like, this is Jonah. Aren't you pulling this out of context a little bit, right? Uh, Is this, is this really have to do with us here in the New Testament? Well, here's my challenge. Here's my, here's my argument back to you. What's the Great Commission? Go into all the world and do what? Declare the gospel. Tell the good news. Arise, Jonah is told, arise, go to Nineveh. Jesus in Matthew 28 says what? Go into all the world. So, we come to this point now, point number three is this, is to rely on God's power and salvation. Again, that's our responsibility, right? Evangelism for us telling our neighbors about Jesus is, that is our responsibility, but salvation ultimately is God's responsibility because now we should be relying on God's power and salvation. It almost seems, looking here at verses four and five, it almost seems that the emphasis of these four verses of four and five is placed on God's saving power and not Jonah's abilities. Okay, so look there at verse four and follow along with me as I read. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, we also see in the verse leading up to that, in verse 2, let's, let's jump back to verse 2, where Jonah records, it says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Right? Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And so there's emphasis. Again, if Jonah is the one who's looking back on his life and he's recording this season of his life for us, Jonah's placing significant emphasis on the size of the city of Nineveh. He says this city is huge, right? It, it would take a normal person, right, several days to even just kind of meander through the streets of the city. And yet, Jonah then records only just one line. Now, now did Jonah say more than just this one line, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown? Yeah, most likely. 
Right? I, I expect there was probably more to his message than that. But it seems as if Jonah is emphasizing the size of the city and he's emphasizing how little he said to help us see that the power of salvation does not come through all of the eloquence, all of the ideas, all of the creative ways that we might try to save a person, but instead that salvation ultimately belongs, the power of salvation ultimately belongs to God. Remind yourself that Jonah, as he's going into Nineveh, was going into enemy territory. Jonah is, he's going into this enemy territory, and what is Jonah doing as he goes into enemy territory? Remember, Nineveh is, is an Assyrian, is, is like the empire, the capital city of Assyria, and so Jonah is going right into this enemy territory, and he's, not go, and he's going there to do what? To point out their wicked ways. He's going there to call them to repentance. Right? Jonah's not walking through the city gates of Nineveh with a security detail. He doesn't have an entourage around him. Right? Jonah's by himself. Jonah was not walking through the city gate of Nineveh carrying a white flag of surrender. Jonah didn't have a peace treaty on which to rely on for his, his well-being or his safety. Instead, Jonah is entering into enemy territory, into the city, unprotected. He's entering into a city whose inhabitants, the citizens of Nineveh, were, they were wicked and they were violent. They were known throughout the, the world as being violent people. He's going into the lion's den. All Jonah had to rely on was God's presence and God's power. And ultimately, it seems as if Jonah is reminding us that what caused these people of Nineveh to believe is the power of God. Jonah doesn't tell us how eloquent he was in his speech. Jonah doesn't tell us that he was handing out hot dogs to convince people, which, again, that's a good thing to do. Nothing wrong with that. But that certainly won't bring people to salvation. Only what will bring people to salvation is God's power. It's remarkable to consider how God used one man with a faithful message to bring the entire city of Nineveh to the point of repentance. God used one man who was faithful in declaring one message and brought the entire great city to repentance. You might be familiar with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. Paul emphasizes his desire to travel to Rome. Paul says, I want to go to Rome. Why do I want to go to Rome? I want to go to Rome to tell people about Jesus. He wants to travel to Rome so he can share the good news of Jesus with the people there. The Roman Empire, right? That ruled the world in Paul's day. And Paul's confidence in the proclamation of the gospel, is it in, is it in his own ability? No. Where does Paul's confidence lie? It's in the power. It's in God's power through that salvation. Through salvation, Paul understands that there's nothing he can do in his own strength. He's on, his, job is on, his work is only to tell people about it, and then God comes, and he's ultimately the one who does the saving. Far too often, we excuse ourselves from, other, from, from telling other people about Jesus because we, we're convinced that we don't know enough, right? We have all of these excuses Our confidence for proclaiming the gospel should not be in our... When we use those excuses, what that identifies is that our confidence in the power is in ourselves and not in God. Our confidence in evangelism should be in God's power. How often do you doubt the power of God in salvation? Do you have people that you have hesitated to share the gospel with because in your mind, you have already written them off. Have you ever done that? 
right? Do you ever withhold the gospel from someone thinking to yourself that this person is too far gone in their sin? They're too steeped in rebellion that they would never return to the Lord. I kind of wonder if God allowed Jonah to experience his saving power through the stormy sea and the great fish so to embolden Jonah in his call to Nineveh. Right? God allows Jonah to have a firsthand experience of what it's like to be snatched from the drowning waves of judgment. God, God allows Jonah to be able to experience what it's like to be offered another chance through his mercy and grace. And Jonah then is able to stand before the people of Nineveh as he proclaims this, this message that he's given he, he declares it with firsthand experience, knowing that the power of God is truly able to save and that the power of God to save him is real and that Jonah is able to be a living testimony to those people. If that indeed is, is true, then we are reminded how God can, can use our past rebellion, our wayward ways, that God is able to use our own personal experience with his saving power as a motivator of our evangelism. Even in our, our sin and our reluctance to serve the Lord, even our sin and our reluctance to serve the Lord is not wasted in God's plans. Right? Maybe our new attitude should be this, that if God is able to save me, then he can save anyone. That if God is able to save me, then he can save anyone. Because why? Is it your abilities? Is it your attempts that ultimately save a person? No. It's God's power. And that's what we rely on. And that's what we believe in. Several weeks ago, I was able to, I was uh, meeting with a gentleman. Uh, I was I've bought sheep from this guy, just so you know. So he's a, a sheep dealer. And I was meeting with him, and we were talking. And um, I'd been hanging out with him there at his farm for a while, and I'd gotten some things loaded up onto my truck, and we were getting ready to leave. And, and he knows I'm a pastor. And uh, so um, toward the end of it, he had some questions for me, and so I tried to explain some of those, those questions. And, uh, man, it's all falling apart, isn't it? Uh, that's all right. I can talk. Um, uh, I'm, I'm explaining some of those questions or trying to answer some of those questions to him. And, um, and the conversation went directly, the conversation lent itself to go directly to the gospel. And uh, this guy's name is Mark. And I'm sitting in my truck and Mark is standing right outside my truck, right? I've got the window rolled down, okay, so we're not using sign language. Well, I'm talking to him through there, and I've got my arm there on the, on the door of the truck. And he's asking me these questions, and I was able to go into the gospel, and there on my truck, I'm able to, I'm able to explain the timeline of Scripture, right? As I, where you roll your window down, right, that little thing right there, that ledge, I'm able to explain to him the timeline of Scripture using that, and I've got like, I'm saying, here's the cross in the middle of it and how it all points to the cross. And his response was, he said, you know what? He said, after all of those years of Catholic school, he said, no one ever explained it to me like that. Now, I drove away, and I would love to say that Mark at that point in time made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, and he's going to be baptized. And no, none of that. I don't know where Mark is at right now. But Mark left within his own mind. He's thinking to himself, I've never heard that news before. That's interesting. And now he has to deal with that. And now God is going to be challenging his heart. I wonder, church, today even amid all of these incredible distractions that we've had this morning. It's almost as if there's an enemy who is trying to disrupt what we're talking about. Because this is important. Because this is us talking about sharing the greatest news of Jesus Christ with other people. That, that we should heed this call that Jonah has, where then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, right? Then the word of the Lord came to me. 
another time. Arise, go to my workplace, go to my school, go to the neighbor who lives across the street and proclaim to them the message that I'm going to give to you. And the question then is, are you going to obey and are you going to do that? Or is, it, is verse 3 going to read like this? Then Michael Fay obeyed the word of the Lord, went to his co-workers, and invited them to church. Right? I mean, that's, that's ultimately, will we obey the challenge that God, the, the command that God has given to us? And then we pray that as we do that, we'll be able to say, well, my neighbors believed God. My neighbors trusted in Jesus Christ. Each of us have received God's persistent grace. We're instructed to proclaim it to others, to let others know that this grace is available to them. And ultimately, church, the power of salvation is not up to you and me. It's up to God. Would you close with me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the power of your word, and I praise you that your word is capable of working in spite of distractions. And Lord, I pray that this morning, uh, what we've discussed and what we've learned here from Jonah, God, that your spirit would remind us of it would challenge us of it, God, that we would use these tools that we've been given to share the gospel. God, I pray for those whom we met there on Thursday night. Uh, they're at the hot dog giveaway, and those who received your word, God, we believe in the power of your word. And so, God, we trust that you will use your word to draw men and women to yourself. And God, help us to be about the business of telling others about the business of evangelism. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.